evidence and answers. Have we discovered the city of Sodom? Most Old Testament scholars believe this Old Testament story is folklore, along with most of the stories of the Old Testament. There are recent excavations that presented a compelling case that the city of Sodom has been discovered. And now we know how that city was destroyed. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. At a recent conference hosted by the Wailai Baptist Church in Hawaii, Pat continues with session five as he details several significant discoveries that affirm the Old Testament. Now with part two of this three-part message is our host, Pat. What about the Tower of Babel, which many say that, well, this is pure fiction. There's good reason to believe that perhaps this is a historic account. Throughout the Mesopotamia region, especially in Iraq, we have ziggurat towers. Okay, these are very high towers here. There are over 30 ziggurat remains throughout the Mesopotamian region. Okay, these are ancient temples. This is the ancient temple of one of the oldest and most massive we found, the Eridu ziggurat there. That's the reconstruction there, ziggurat. I remember when I was in Dallas and my friend invited me to his church and uh, of course he's an Old Testament major and I said hey any visitors today and he stood up and he said this is my friend from Hawaii Pat Ziggurat you know I said hey thanks a lot buddy Pat Pagan Temple you know hey, thanks a lot hey so these are throughout the Middle East and these were massive massive temples this is the famous remains of the Ziggurat at Ur Namu in a land of Ur, where Abraham is from. Okay, that's how it looked in ancient times. They've done some reconstruction on it. It's dedicated to the moon god, Nana. And this structure arose over 200 feet high. Okay, over 20 stories here. Now, the building materials in Genesis 11 says, they built a tower using burnt bricks and bitumen for mortar. They are in Genesis 11, verse 3. That made the bricks stronger so they could build higher towers. Well, we know that the ziggurats during the 8th century BC, okay, the Chalcolithic period and, and before, Neolithic period, about 8,000 BC and before, were built with baked bricks, made them very strong. However, from the 4th century BC, this is the Chalcolithic period, Okay, during the time of the Tower of Babel, about 3000 BC, right around there, mid 3000 BC, they started using fire baked bricks okay, with bitumen or tar. And here's one right there that they discovered in that era, fired brick at some of the ziggurats there that came up in the 4th century BC. And they're not sun dried bricks, these are fired bricks covered in tar or bitumen there, as the Bible described. And they could make the building and the construction much, much stronger. Fired bricks, as you know, those of you in pottery or ceramics know, are much stronger than sun-baked bricks. And that's what many of these ziggurats, these taller ones, are built on. Now, remember the story of the Tower of Babel. Everybody spoke one language. All right, and then he said, hey, we're going to build a temple up to the sky over here. Okay, and then 
God saw the arrogance of man and judged mankind, confused their languages, and they ended up spreading throughout the Middle East. Well, there's a story here, the legend of N. Merker and Lord Arata, dated about 2100 B.C. And the story features two kings here, N. Merker, who ruled the land of Uruk, and King Arata, who ruled the land east of Uruk. Both men were in love with a goddess named Inanna. Now, King N. Merker, they both fall in love, but King N. Merker wins the heart of the goddess Inanna because he's willing to build a grand temple for her. Right? And so he seeks to subdue the other lover there in this love triangle, Lord Aratha. And the two kings engage in intellectual battle here to win the heart of Inanna. She already loves King N. Merker, but Lord Arata doesn't know that. All right, so he still thinks he's got a chance. So they're battling this epic intellectual battle here. And during the portion of the epic, okay, N. Merker recites the spell of Nudinmud. And in the spell that he's reciting over Lord Arata, he speaks of a time when the world was of one language. He says, once upon a time there was no snake, no scorpion, there was no hyena, no lion, there was no wild dog, no wolf, there was no fear, no terror. Man had no rival. In those days, the lands of Suber and Hamadzi, Harmony Tongue Sumer, the great land, the decrees of princeship, Uri, the land having all that is appropriate, the land of Martu resting in security, the whole universe, the people in unison to Enlil in one tongue or one language. And then goes on to say, Then Enki, Lord of abundance, whose commands are trustworthy, Lord of wisdom, who understands the land, the leader of the gods, endowed with wisdom, the Lord Eridu, changed the speech in their mouths, brought contention into it, into the speech of man that until then had been one. This legend coming in the 2100 BC speaks of a time when the entire land spoke in one language. Where in the world does that come from? Tower of Babel, would occur during the time of the Chalcolithic period, okay? Chalcolithic precedes the Bronze Age. So Chalcolithic period is about 4900 to 3900 BC, right around there. This is when the Tower of Babel would be occurring. Now, the Chalcolithic period is a time when we start seeing great cities and these ziggurats being built. A great civilization is occurring there in Sumer, in Mesopotamia. Then, all of a sudden, these great cities are abandoned. Suddenly. We don't know why. There's no sign of warfare, famine, or struggle. They're just suddenly abandoned. People go back to the nomadic life and spread out all through Mesopotamia. And they don't inhabit these cities again. What explains that? No one knows why that these cities are just suddenly abandoned. People go back to a nomadic lifestyle and start scattering throughout the Middle East. There's no evidence of a violent struggle. These cities are not resettled again. So scholars conclude there was some catastrophic end to these cities there in Mesopotamia that causes the people to scatter. But they have no idea why. All right, that brings an end to the Chalcolithic period. Now, Throughout the Mesopotamia area, you have people of the same race, but they're speaking different languages. How did that come about? 
And the languages that they're speaking are very different from one another. How did that come about? Nobody has any idea. Well, the Tower of Babel would make a whole lot of sense, wouldn't it? Seems to fit the Genesis account there of Genesis chapter 11. So, Tower of Babel, very reasonable account. It's not inconsistent with the archaeology that we have discovered. Next, we have the Ebla tablets here. The Ebla kingdom is an ancient kingdom up there. Southern Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, that area there. It was discovered in the 1970s. Now, what was significant of the Ebla tablets? We touched on it a little bit earlier there in a previous seminar. What we discovered were 15,000 tablets and fragments that have been found at this site dated to about 2300 BC. And it provided information, language, customs, culture, and geography of that particular period, which coincides with the period of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Critics argued okay, that many of the words used in Genesis were developed much later in the 7th century BC by the schools of JEPD. However, when we were able to decipher and translate the Ebla tablets, revealed that the Genesis narratives of the patriarchs actually and very accurately reflected the words, names, and customs and locations used during that period. Okay, the tablets contain names found in Genesis, Jacob, Ishmael, Adam, and others. That the locations of the cities named during the time of the patriarchs, Megiddo, Hazor, Gaza, Shechem, and Jerusalem, were around and major cities at that time. Deities such as Dagon, El, Baal, Molech, Yah, are mentioned. There's a phonetic alphabet. Remember, critics were saying there's no phonetic alphabet system before 1000 AD. Well, the Ebla tablets blew that one right out of the water. And it also contained a version of the Enuma Elish, a creation account. Right? So that was a very significant discovery there, the Ebla tablets. Here's one that we recently discovered, and the professor that I'm doing my research under, Stephen Collins, is the one that discovered Sodom and Gomorrah a little bit over 10 years ago. There were several cities that were thought to be Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, Babedra and others, that located down here in the southeast corner of the Dead Sea. Tal el Hammam is located here in the northeast section in what's called the Kikar Valley. And if you read the Genesis account of the, the location of Sodom, in the Hebrew it says it was in the Kikar Valley. Kikar means half circle, semicircle. And that's what we have here. Okay, we've got a, like Nagasaki, right? It's in a semicircle enclosed by mountains. That's what we have here. It's the Kikar Valley here at Tal El Hammam. So when you look at the Genesis account, they were looking at the Genesis account and it says that Abraham and Lot stood between Bethel and Ai and they looked out on the Kikar Valley and Lot could see Sodom and said, hey, it was well watered. He said, I want to be in this territory here. So if you look at Bethel and Ai, Bethel and Ai, it's located over here. They're standing over here and they're looking into the Kikar Valley and Lot saw that it was very well watered. 
and fertile. And he saw the city of Sodom there and said, hey, I want to I go over there. Okay, so Lot moves over here. Now you see this map here. It says Sodom is down here in the southeast corner. Baba Draw is down here. Well, if they're looking from Bethel and I, that's too far of a location here. They can't see Sodom. It's too far away. More than likely, they're looking in this area. All right, so my professor Stephen Collins, they did a study with, uh, you know, modern technology, radar and heat sensory and all these kind of things in this area of the car. And they discovered a tell, a mound. Tell, that's what it means. It's a mound, okay? So what you had was a city. It was destroyed or conquered. And then the earth covers it. And then another city is built on top of it. And then that's destroyed and it's covered up. And, and so you get these artificial mountains here. That's called a tell. When you see one of those, there's probably something underneath there. All right? So they discovered this massive tell over here in the Kikar Valley, southeast corner of the Dead Sea. And they said, we think that could be the possible location of Sodom. So they did their studies. Back then, you needed helicopters to do all that. Now, you just use high-tech drones do all your radiology and heat sensing and all this. And eight miles northeast of the Dead Sea, they discovered this huge tell, this huge mound. And they said, if this is Sodom, this is what we should expect. All right? And they went over there and they discovered just an absolutely, there's Dr. Collins right there. They discovered just this massive, massive city. It was about 150 acres uh, 150 acres, 62 of which was enclosed in a massive fortified wall. And the walls were nearly 100 feet thick. Okay? There was a gateway with plaza and towers. There was a huge temple complex. Buildings for government structures, a very large palace. Over 100,000 pottery remains. Now, this was a metropolis of its time. And as they dug down, guess what they discovered? This city was suddenly destroyed by intense heat in about 1700 BC. That's right during the time of Abraham. And according to the Genesis 19 account, that's how the city of Sodom was destroyed, right? By intense heat. Now, Genesis chapter 13, verses 2 through 10, states that the land was this whole Jordan Valley area, calls it the whole plain or Kikar, was clearly visible just east of Bethel and I, where Lot could see the whole plain. So if Lot is standing here with Abraham, Bethel and I, he can see the whole plain. That would be this area. Okay, this is way too far south. You can't see this area from Bethel and I. So they got to be up here somewhere. So Tal El Hamam fits that description. Now, when they're digging down here, they discovered, they did laboratory analysis Samples taken at Tal El Hammam as well as around this Kikar area. They're looking at soil samples, rock samples, right in this Kikar Valley, right here in the red. Okay, so they're looking at this whole area. And laboratory scientists from seven independent universities confirm something very astounding. Sodom and the entire 400 square kilometers east of the Jordan, the car disk, was wiped out instantly by an explosion that generated heat of 12,000 centigrade. 
okay, or 21,000 Fahrenheit. They know that because there's vitrified or sand and rocks that were suddenly converted into glass. Okay, they see that all over the place. Pottery, glass, glass-coated rocks, fused sand shows that this place was destroyed by a sudden explosion nature that generated heat 21,000 Fahrenheit or 12,000 degrees centigrade. Now, what can generate something, you know, it not only destroyed Sodom instantly, destroyed the entire Kikar Valley. It wasn't inhabited for another 700 years, okay? What can generate that kind of heat? The only thing that can is what we call a meteoric airburst. <laughs> a meteor flying over, disintegrated that entire valley there right about 1700 BC. That matches the time of Abraham and the Genesis 19 account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So significant was this find that in 2011, the director of the Jordan Department of Antiquities stated in Jordanian News, he said, the excavation at Tal El Hammam is perhaps the most important archaeological discovery of all time. If we can confirm this is indeed Sodom, that would change the face of the whole discussion when it comes to the time of the patriarchs and the early Genesis accounts. Here's another one, okay? The Hittites, they appear in Genesis 15, 1 Kings 10. We hadn't found anything about the Hittites okay, for nearly 1,700 years. And many people were saying, well, this is a mythical group invented there in the Bible. Well, a little over a century ago, discovered in 1876, they were digging there in uh, northern Iraq, southern Turkey, and they made a discovery there of buildings and a huge library and five temples of fortified citadels. And in the library, they discovered thousands of tablets. And when they deciphered these tablets here, they had discovered they were sitting right at Hattusas, the capital city of the Hittites. That was, and in 1906, they translated these tablets and discovered, you know what, we just discovered the capital of the Hittite Empire. And when they studied the Hittite language, they discovered it's the early relative of the Indo-European languages. The Hittites had been discovered. And so there's a, another discovery that confirmed the historical reliability of the Old Testament. By the way, those of us with Asian descent, you might be wondering where the Asians are mentioned in the Bible. Well, archaeologists surmise the Hittites, the Chinese, come from the Hittites. Why is that? Well, the Hittites have that ponytail, right? the Chinese have, they have the curved sword that is used in, in the Chinese weapons. Okay? They have the curved shoes okay? that's reflected in the Chinese culture. Many feel okay, that the Hittites are the forerunners of the Chinese. And you look at the armor of the Hittites and the terracotta warriors. A lot of similarities there. Okay? The chariots of the Hittites and the terracotta So a lot of them speculate perhaps that's, they're the forerunners of the Chinese. The Balaam inscription in Exodus 22, it talks about a prophet named Balaam 
who the Moabites hired to curse the people of Israel. And you know that story. He went to one mountain, blessed them, and another one blessed them. Before he would go, you know, God told him, don't prophesy against these people. So he wouldn't. But finally he accepts the bribe and he goes. And you remember the story, the angel of God is sitting there and his donkey wouldn't proceed and he beats his donkey and his donkey opens his mouth and starts talking. All right, that's the story of Balaam. Many consider that fiction. Well, in 1967, so that's not too long ago, a crumbled plaster was found in an ancient building in Dur Allah in Jordan. Okay? And written on it was this Aramaic text dated about 800 BC. Okay? And there are 50 lines of this text faded in red and black. And the text reads, Warnings, warning sayings from the book of Balaam, the son of Beor. He was a prophet or a seer of the gods. Balaam, son of Beor. That's him there mentioned in the book of Numbers. We went over a little bit of the Merneptah Stila here. For centuries, people said King David does not exist. He's a legendary figure. Why? We've never found anything of King David outside of the Bible. Well, back in 1993 in northern Israel at a site called Tel Dan, they made an astounding discovery. It shocked the archaeology world. It rocked the archaeological world. Up there in Tel Dan, they found a black basalt stele, a government plaque that you hang over government buildings. And there were 13 lines written in the Aramaic language, and you could read it. All right? It's the victory stele created by King Hazael, king of Aram of Damascus in the 9th century BC, so about 100 years after King David, when he defeated the forces of Israel, as recorded in 1 Kings 15.9. And line 9 mentions his victory over the kings of Israel, over the house of David. Okay, so when the plaques, when the two pieces were put together, the whole thing reads, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, and I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. So here we have an enemy of Israel, writing about a century after, acknowledging the existence of David and that the kings of Israel follow in the line of David. It was a phenomenal discovery. It shocked the archaeological world because now we had evidence of a historic King David. Then in 2005, this is not that long ago, okay, in 2005, we know here that the city of David is south of the Temple Mount. So here is Mount Moriah, where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Here's where the Jerusalem Temple sits. And the city of Salem, which David eventually conquered and made his capital, is south of Mount Moriah. And eventually his son Solomon builds a temple here. So this south of the Temple Mount, this area here is known as the City of David. You can go to Israel today and go visit the City of David. Well, David had a palace here somewhere in the City of David, and this is most likely the location right here. And what they discovered in 2005, dating right to the time of David, okay, 1000 BC, the archaeologist Abraham Mozar discovered a large structure 
It's much larger than any of the buildings that are there at that time. It's in the right location, just outside the Jebusite wall. Dates to the right time, 1000 BC. They found their Cypriot juglets, ivory inlay. Anyway, this was a fancy palace, luxurious dwelling. And they discovered several royal seals there. So this was some kind of royal housing. And they did more studies and they discovered this is most likely the palace of King David himself. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even hold an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, once again, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zufra. Oh, 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 oh,